0: It's really great to be able to speak to you this morning. Um, For those who don't know, my name is Robbie. Um, I'm part of the worship team here at RZOUND, and uh, I've had the privilege of being able to speak um, as well a few times. And so this morning, uh, I'm going to continue our series uh, on prayer by looking at a specific Old Testament character, uh, how, how they use prayer to lift up their distress to God and ultimately trust in him. Uh, But before I do that, I'm just going to pray that God, I just pray that wherever we are this morning, that you just come and speak to us. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm just a guy who's brought a message, but God God can use that to speak to all of us in our hearts and minds. And I just pray now, Lord, that you just take the words I have and just speak to anyone who's listening to this, wherever they are, whatever they're up to, Lord, in your name. Amen. So the character I'm looking to be looking at is Hezekiah, who was a king of Judah. So 2 Kings 18 kicks off his reign in the Bible, uh, and verse 1 to 3 says this. Uh, in the year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. So many of you know I'm, I'm a big biblical history buff, nerd, whatever you want to call it. Um, so if you read, so here's Hezekiah's background. So he was one of the kings of Judah. Uh, and if you read the Old Testament, uh, when the kingdom of Israel is divided into north and south, uh, you, you have the, south, the north, sorry, which is Israel, and the south is Judah. And none of the kings of Israel are particularly given a stellar review uh, by the writer of the Book of the Kings. Um, but on the other hand, the kings of Judah are a bit of a mixed bag, really. Some are seen as good, others not so much. Uh, so Hezekiah is an example of a good king, as we read in that passage. But his father, King Ahaz, was not a good king. And he actually did a a lot of damage to the the kingdom of Judah. So this included uh, worshiping false gods, uh, submitting to the superpower of the day, which was the Assyrian Empire. And he signed Judah up for yearly tribute payments uh, to their new masters. And this was not what God wanted at all for his people. He wanted to be their sole ruler and he didn't want them to submit to any sort of earthly power. So Hezekiah sought to change these things that his father did. And if you read in, uh, I'm not going to go through it because has a lot of scripture, but if you look at specifically 2 Chronicles, chapters 29, 30, and 31, it details reforms Hezekiah made, uh, such as cleansing and restoring the temple, uh, commemorating a big Passover, uh, and reorganizing some of the priests uh, so that the, the house of God could be uh, cleansed and restored. But while Hezekiah wanted to reform things at home, uh, there was one other thing he wanted to do, and that was that's he wanted to get rid of the Assyrians being the overlords of the, of the kingdom of Judah. He no longer wanted to submit to their rule, paying the tribute payments. Now Hezekiah had to wait for his moment to make his move. So a bit of background, Hezekiah came to the throne in 715 BC. So it's about seven years after the fall of Samaria. Uh, In that passage, if you're wondering why it says, in the third year of the king of Israel, it's because originally he joint reigned with his father for a bit. But as the sole king, he was there in 715 BC. Um, and the Assyrian king at the time was a guy called Sargon II. And if you heard me talk about last year about Isaiah 20, you remember that you might remember that the name Sargon popped up there. and he was the guy who ended up defeating the Egyptians uh, in a battle and carried them off to Assyria. And uh, if you can remember, Isaiah basically prophesies that's going to happen to warn Hezekiah not to get involved. And due to Sargon's strength really, uh, when Hezekiah first came to the throne, Um, he continued to pay the tribute payments that his father Ahaz had started so all in this time he's going about doing his reforms as well as preparing to make his move Uh, this includes building a tunnel so that water could be provided to the city of Jerusalem and this finally came in the year 705 BC so about 10 years later when Sargon dies and his son Sennacherib takes the throne And if you know anything about ancient regime change, it was often a time where revolts would break out as conquered people saw it as their opportunity to break free. For example, when Sennacherib came to the throne, he faced a revolt in the east of the Assyrian Empire in the city of Babylon from a character called Maradak Baladin, who who pops up later in 2 Chronicles. He also had rebellions in Syria, Phoenicia, which is above Israel, uh, north of israel as well as hezekiah in the west so hezekiah chooses chooses to revolt in 705 bc and for four years judah is is independent because sennacherib is dealing with the threat of marduk baladin in the east however sennacherib prevails against marduk baladin uh, drives him out of babylon and restores order in the east of his empire This means then that he can turn his attention to the west. And in 701 BC, Sennacherib comes west and begins what's known as his Syrian campaign. Uh, So first he begins by taking Phoenicia and Syria, which are north of Israel, as I said. And then he turns his attention to Hezekiah. So in 2 Kings 18 uh, verses 13 to 17, it says this. So in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib king of Assyria came up against all the 45 cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah king of Judah sent to the king of Assyria a Lachish saying, I have done wrong, withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria acquired of Hezekiah king of Judah 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabseris and the Rabshecha, with a great army from Lachish to Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway to the washer's field. So to paint a picture, Sennacherib takes his army into Judah and takes a number of the fortified cities in the north. He then campaigns past Jerusalem, taking Ashdod and Ekron, which are cities of the Philistines. After de- defeating Egy- an Egyptian expedition near the city of El Techa, which is not too far from modern-day Tel Aviv, he then moves south and splits his army into two, with the majority heading to the, he- head into the southern city of Lachish and besieging it, and eventually taking it. The rest of the army goes to blockade Jerusalem to prevent any support for Lachish. This is an important move for Assyria, as the taking of Lachish cuts off Judah from any further support from the Egyptians, as Lachish was on the southern border of Judah and could act as an outpost. Therefore, the Egyptians would have to take this city before they could offer any other help. So this forces Hezekiah to sue for peace, and as we read in the previous passage, by offering tribute. So Hezekiah realizes now that he's truly alone. Any potential allies he had, he had or has and peoples around him are all but gone. Unfortunately, despite Hezekiah's tribute payments, Sennacherib decides that he didn't want to accept Hezekiah's surrender anymore and wanted to conquer Judah. So after taking Lachish, he sent the forces there to the nearby city of Libna. Meanwhile, the Egyptians mustered a force and marched towards Libna. Sennacherib confused this as a relief force, and sent a character, as we read in the text, called the Rabshakeh to Jerusalem to intimidate the Judeans into surrendering. Originally, the the Assyrians set up camp outside Jerusalem purely just to prevent support at Lachish. But now that they think that Hezekiah secretly contacted the the Egyptians so he can join forces with them. The purpose of the Rabsheka was to scare the city of Jerusalem into surrendering. His speeches in the Bible are quite grim. Uh, I w- I'm not going to read any this morning because they're, yeah, it talks about all sorts of horrible things, and he's trying to incite fear among the population. So Hezekiah is in real trouble now. Will he be forced to surrender, or will help come? So this is where Hezekiah does what all Christians should do in times of crisis. He goes, in his case, he goes into the temple, but for us, it could be in our bedrooms, it could be anywhere, in the car, uh, and begins praying to God for help. Uh, And in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, it says, As soon as King Hezekiah um, heard these things, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. So it's really important this because Hezekiah could have done a number of things, but he doesn't send out some sort of delegation to uh, arrange peace. He doesn't arm his men for battle, you know. He doesn't make some sort of heroic speech to inspire his army to rally their spirits. The first thing that he does is he goes straight into the house of God and prays. In, uh, if we read later, it, it, in translate, some translations, it refers to Hezekiah spreading his situation before the Lord. And that's in verse 14 of chapter 19. Uh, after he does this, he immediately gets word from the prophet Isaiah in 2 Kings nineteen six to 7 uh, And that says... Uh, Isaiah said to them say to your master thus says the Lord do not be afraid because of the words that you, you have heard w- with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me behold I will put a spirit in him so he you shall hear a rumour and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land now Basically, what the most miraculous thing happens next, and we can read about it in verses 35 to 37 of chapter 19. Uh, That night, this this happens. Uh, That night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people rose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. When Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh, and as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adremelech and Shereza, his sons, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Ezahaden, his son, reigned in his place. So in those verses, we basically find out what happens to Sennacherib's army at Libna. So Sennacherib's army is defeated at Libna and this causes the forces camped in Jerusalem to return home due to Assyria's depleted numbers. And especially considering what Isaiah said, we also learn that Sennacherib himself meets an un- untimely end by being murdered by his two eldest sons, showing that God is the one who decides the final outcome. Uh, So just for reference, uh, one of the sources for all this information actually comes from Sennacherib himself, because I've kind of been describing a lot of his campaign, and some of you might be thinking, well, if I actually read the Bible, there's not a lot of this detailed, but there's something known as uh, Sennacherib's prism, I think it's in the London Museum somewhere, and this is Sennacherib's own words describing what uh, has happened So basically, I'm just telling you that because although the Bible is great and important, there are some other sources out there. Um, uh, Another one, of course, being um, the Greek historian Herodotus has a a similar-ish account to uh, the the story of of the Syrian army being struck struck down. So you might want to go and see if you can find that. So I've given you a lot of history there. Uh, various place names kings but the heart of this story is a king who prayed to the Lord in his time of need and God delivered him so here are the key points I draw from Hezekiah's story the first point is this involve God Hezekiah has a great devotion towards the Lord Uh, we see from the outset of his reign that he wanted to correct all the problems that his father Ahaz had caused in in his reign But he didn't just do this out of duty or tradition he did this because he he wanted to involve god in his life there are many times in the bible it it talks about hezekiah praying to god and god moving Uh, hezekiah wanted god to be involved up close and personal with him and not at a distance Uh, there is actually another example of hezekiah praying in 2 kings 20 uh, you, you can go and look that up it basically talks about he nearly dies of, of, a, of a, an illness but his persistent prayers um, basically cause God to say I'll give you another 15 more years to, ha- to do these reforms so I think the message for us is that we need to do the same uh, if God feels distant from you then work on getting him more involved in your life and I'm not saying you have to launch into some sort of long, drawn-out prayers. Just a few simple, short prayers each day as you go about your daily life is a great start. I do, I do this myself when different things come up in my day. Uh, I often throw up sort of short, one-line prayers to God, asking Him to move in a situation or thanking Him when things go a certain way. Um, the key thing is just to be honest with God tell him how you're really feeling and not how you think you should be feeling god wants us to be honest with him even if it's messy in fact i think god likes it i think if you read the bible god deals with messy people so don't afraid to be messy with god so involve him so that's the first point the second point is come to him in times of desperation Despair by its very nature can cause us to run in the opposite direction to God. The problems we face seem like massive obstacles to us and sometimes it can make us feel like we've been overwhelmed. I'm pretty terrible at this. I often uh, allow things to build up in my mind uh, to the point where I feel a bit powerless and I don't know what to do. I overthink things and as a result I make things worse than they actually are. And when things actually end up working out for the better, uh, when I look back and I just kind of wonder to myself why I let myself become overwhelmed to the point that I was almost paralysed. And it's because I'm trying to work it out on my own. And I've found that those times that I've just come to God are the times that actually all of that, no matter if the outcome is not known at the time, all that kind of fear tends to wash away. And Hezekiah's story shows us that we should run straight to God in our times of despair. As I mentioned earlier, the first thing Hezekiah did when he thought uh, the Assyrians had him was to go into the temple and spread himself before the Lord. He could have tried to be a great military leader or tried to reason with the Rabshakeh, but he went straight to God involving god in our prayers prayer lives means that in times of desperation it will become second nature to go straight to the lord in prayer it's also really great that the god of the universe has heard you and my third point is trust that he hears you and works for your good we should not think that our prayers are wasted god hears all our prayers even when we're struggling to pray the bible says in romans 8:26, likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words not only does he hear our prayers but his spirit intercedes on our behalf this point is a difficult one for us to fully hold on to sometimes As it may feel that God isn't answering us. Or certainly not in the way we want him to. Maybe you have a Sennacherib in your life at the moment. Maybe you feel as if there is no end in sight to your current situation. Certainly COVID feels like that at the moment for us. But Hezekiah's story shows us that God does hear and work for our good. This powerful army of Assyrians is sent home and Jerusalem isn't taken by the Assyrians due to God's intervention at Libna. Maybe Hezekiah thought the same. Would God hear my prayer and help me? Or maybe he won't, maybe maybe I'm doomed. But ultimately God did hear his prayer, answered it, and Hezekiah and the people of Judah were no longer under the yoke of the Assyrians. God wants to be involved with our lives, And hearing our prayers. And sometimes those answers are not always what we expect. But Luke 11 reminds us that. Which of you fathers. If your son asks for a fish. Will give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg. Will give him a scorpion. If you then. Though you are evil. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him and God wants the best for us so we must involve him in our lives in my experience God has a great way of answering things at the right time but the key thing is I must involve him so I encourage you today whatever life circumstances are in front of you to come and spread all of your life before the Lord Involve him in your daily life by praying to him, coming with urgent requests when despair tries to enter your life, and trust that he hears and works for you. Who knows, maybe you'll see miracles like Hezekiah. Lord, I just really thank you for the example of Hezekiah. And we just pray that we continue just to trust in you, especially in these times. Where there's lots of uncertainty and unknown about when present circumstances are going to change. But God, you are in control and you hear all of our prayers and you make all things work together for our good. And like Hezekiah, if we continue to spread things before you, even sometimes if it's small things, just individually in our lives, we could see change. So I pray, Lord, that just you can continue to increase our... uh, passion for prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.